Okay, well, I am so glad to be with you. And you're all sitting there thinking, who is this old subcontinental woman? And what, if anything, has she got to tell us about sex, right? You're thinking that. Well, let me tell you a little bit about myself before we start. And I, my name is Patricia. Now, just before we start, how, how many of you got a nana who's about 65, 70 years old? Good. So you can all imagine that my, I'm 71 years old. So you can all imagine that this is your nana here talking to you about sex. I'm sure that makes you feel wonderful to start off with. Okay. So... But your nana doesn't wander around in a sari, which is what this is called, on a Friday evening talking about sex. Maybe she talks about sex, but not in a purple sari. So let me tell you a little bit more about myself. I was born in Sri Lanka, in the tea plantations of Sri Lanka. And I went to medical school there, so I'm a doctor. And did my postgraduate study in Hawaii. And that's where I studied sexual health. Then I went back to Sri Lanka, and for six years I taught in the medical school there. And then my husband and my son and I moved here 30 years ago. So I've been a lecturer with the University of Sydney for 25 years. And six years ago I retired to do what, you know, retired people do. But on the other hand, God had different plans, so I wander around Australia talking about sex. So go home and ask your nana whether she would like to do that. Wander around Australia talking about sex to people of all ages. So that is my history and that's who I am. So you can call me, I don't know, Auntie Pat, Dr. Pat, Nana Pat, whatever you want to. So what we are going to do today is for about... 35 minutes, I want to talk to you about what has God got to say about sex. So I'm talking to you, young people in the front. Your parents are just sort of dinosaur observers in the background. So we'll just pretend that they're not there. So I'm talking to you. And I'd like to give you a, little, a few minutes when we finish to ask questions. So if you have any questions, I noticed that you were handed some pieces of paper when you came in. And so, jot down questions if you have any, and I'll give you a few moments. You can ask me the questions that we have time for, and those questions that we can't finish, I'm sure your youth leaders will be more than happy to answer them, right? So, now I've really got the youth leaders listening. Okay, so, have you ever wondered if God has anything at all to say about sex? After all, sex is kind of nice and naughty and something you do in secret and then publicize on social media. What can God have to say about that? Isn't God some kind of a cosmic killjoy whose only words about sex are just don't do it? And the Bible, isn't it just a set of rules? What has it got to say to you people of the cyber generation who live in this digital world, who were born with a computer chip implanted in your brain and a smartphone in your hand. Ask mom how difficult that was when you were 
born holding on to your smartphone and you never let it go. So what is it? What is it about young people today? Where are you finding your happiness and your satisfaction? Where are people like you, your age, your friends, looking to, to find who they are? Is it looking to social media? Is it saying, look at me, aren't I the hottest, coolest, best shredded abs, thigh gap, I don't know, but selfie, whatever. Look at me, aren't I the cutest? Or is it something to do with your sexuality and how much sex you have? And is, is that who you are? Is that what gives you happiness and satisfaction? You know, you look at the Lord Jesus Christ clearly said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And if you believe in me, you will never be thirsty. You know, my young, dear young people, Jesus has promised you true satisfaction. And yet in the world today, we are searching for satisfaction in the trash bins of life and the toilet cisterns of this world. We are searching for to sate our hunger from crumbs in the toilet in the trash bins and from a little teaspoon of water from the toilet cistern. When Satan says to you, as he said to Eve in the Garden of Eden, did God really say you shouldn't try a little bit of this? You know, just do a, watch a little bit of porn, just send a few of those sexting messages or nudies or whatever, you know, just do a little bit, it's not going to harm you, and we listen to it, we are looking for our satisfaction in the trash bins and the toilet cisterns of this world. And to understand what God truly means for our lives, we need to know, firstly, why are we, so we, meaning not me, well, me too at 71, but more so at 17 and 13 and 14 like you, why are you so vulnerable to Satan's temptations? What is it about this brain that you are carrying around that makes you so vulnerable? So stay with me while we do Neuroanatomy 10001. Okay, so just a little bit about for you to understand your brain. Your brain, my dear young people, is a work in progress. What does that mean? It means that even right now, the wiring in your brain is changing rapidly. So, think of a wiring upgrade, like a computer, which now doesn't have it, but in the old days used to actually have wires. So it's a wiring upgrade. And this is happening very rapidly. What goes into the brain affects the wiring of your brain and therefore your values, attitudes and your very behavior. This is extremely important for you to remember. What goes into your brain will affect the wiring now and into the future. So we need to ask, what are you feeding your brain? Your brain is working on a what we call use it or lose it principle. What you use, what you put in, what you 
continuously concentrate on will get wired into your thinking. What are you watching? What kind of television shows are you watching? Think for a while. Do any of them have sex? Violence? What kind of YouTube movies are you watching? Netflix? Game of Thrones, anyone? There's a lot of pornography in it, and I'll tell you what porn is. Or maybe you know what porn is. Porn is anything that is sexually explicit. And for you younger ones, it's like people with little or no clothes doing things that make you go, ew, that's un weird what they're doing. Or it makes me feel sort of wiggly and wriggly. And so that, that's pornography. Now, if you feed your brain pornography, or if you watch violent videos, or you play video games that have violence in them, okay, give me a name of a video game that you're playing. Hmm? Fortnite, doesn't everybody say that now? Okay, so Fortnite, who said Fortnite? Yep. How much, is that got any violence in it? Yes. Yep, what does it involve? Shooting people, killing people, building things, okay, whatever. But it does involve, you see, shush, guys, you see, a little bit of it is fun. But when you keep feeding your brain with violence or you watch pornography, you feed that into your brain. You know what happens? Your brain gets wired to think that that is normal. And so the deviant sex you see in pornography, your brain thinks that's normal. And you start treating other people like some kind of an object, like something they bought in a reject shop. Because that's what porn tells you people are. Or if you watch and feed your brain violence, your brain begins to think that if anyone upsets you, that's the way you should react. Just bop them in the face rather than sit down and talk to them. My dear young people, watch what you feed your brain. It will affect your future. Point one. Point two, not all parts of your brain grow and mature at the same time. The first part of your brain that matures is what we call your emotional brain. That part of your brain that says, I no longer want to be mommy and daddy's little baby. Now, when you're little, some of you probably have mom and dad have these pet names or baby names for you, right? Like what? Possum? Pumpkin? What? Hmm? Just straight off baby, yeah? Yes, sir, well, the one in the blue shirt. Did you want to add something? No? Yeah, whatever. So, your parents have baby names for you. Now, there comes a time when your brain, your emotional brain says, I no longer want to be baby boo-boo or pumpkin or whatever. I want to be somebody of my own. I want to be independent. And that is important because otherwise you'll be 43 like my son is and still be cuddling up on mommy's lap and being baby boo-boo pumpkin. And that will be most uncomfortable for mommy's arthritis. So it's part of growing up. You want to take risks. You start getting interested in sex. Now, this part of your brain is erupting like a volcano. And that's a normal part of growing up. 
So what's the problem? The problem is that the part of your brain that's involved in making decisions and saying, wait a minute, now you've taken that picture, don't send it. Oops, too late, you press send. Now that part of your brain that makes decisions, that tells you control yourself, doesn't completely mature till you're in about 25, which means some of your youth leaders are working on it also. So, what happens when you find something that is exciting and your friends are saying, let's do it, your friends are the ones you listen to. Your thinking brain is the one that you listen to. And your control brain is so not functioning. Your brains are like red Ferraris on steroids. With the accelerator pedal to the flow, hardly any brake pedal, and no GPS. Why do you think God did that? God did it because he gave you an external GPS. Who's your external GPS who can help your control brain? You can turn around and look and they're sitting at the back. And you can look at your youth leaders. That's your external GPS. When you are faced with a decision that is important, your emotional brain will say, do what you want to, do whatever you, you want to. Your control brain is whispering, think, self-control, control yourself. And your parents are there as your external GPS. You know, young people, when your parents and your teachers say, you are so out of control, <laughs> you are. And you do need help. Never be afraid to ask for help from older people. They may seem like dinosaurs who don't understand anything, but the reality is that they do have a few more years more experience than you. Okay, so that's one important thing. Now, the second thing I want to talk to you about is where do you find who you are? Remember I told you, you are now moving away from being mommy and daddy's little possum. Who are you looking at and thinking, this is what I want to be. This is who I want to be. Is it social media? We've already mentioned that. Is it your profile out there? Is it on Instagram, Snapchat, whoever uses Facebook? That's your grandparents. Yeah, so is that who you are? Or is it your very sexuality? Do you have to look for a label on those 74 plus labels that you can find on Instagram for your gender? Or do you have to actually be sexually active to find out who you are? You know, these are the lies that the world tells you, my dear young people. Remember what I said in the beginning. Jesus says, I am the bread, I will give you the water. But we are looking in the trash bins. When you look to the world, when you look to a world and say, that is who I am. I want to be like everybody, but I want to be liked. And I want those likes and I want those downloads and that's who I am. My dear young people, look around you. You find your friends are anxious and sad and depressed and even sometimes self-harming. That is because as young people, many young people are searching for an identity and a satisfaction in all the wrong places. You are here because you are a Christian or you are 
exploring Christianity. If you are a Christian, well, you already know a lot of what I'm going to mention. If you are exploring, well, welcome. Talk to your youth leaders, talk to your parents, because you as a Christian have an identity that is already given to you. You don't have to go looking in social media or in sexuality. It is Satan's lie that says to you that unless you have sexual intimacy with someone, you will never be happy and content. You know what a lie that is? If we believe that as Christians, then we must believe that Jesus is sitting in heaven by God's right hand and he's so unhappy because he's sitting there thinking, oh no, I never kissed a girl when I was on earth. I never had sex. And he must be so unhappy. But he's not. He is totally content. And we must be very certain about this. Having sex will not bring you happiness and contentment and satisfaction. I have been a doctor for 50 years, a sexologist working in sexual health for 45. I've seen people die of lack of water, healthcare, medicine. Not one reported case of death by lack of sex. Nobody has ever died. In fact, people die because they have sex and they catch something, but never because they haven't had sex. So don't worry. You will not die if you don't have sex. That is Satan's lie that you need sex to be happy or you need a label, something by trans, a poly, whatever, to be happy. No, the only identity is that which you are already given. My dear young people, you are created in the image of God, Genesis. You bear the thumbprint of the creator. God chose you and he knew you from the moment you started in mommy's womb. You see, the first moment you started was when daddy's sperm met mommy's womb. In King David, in Psalm 139, says, you knit me in my mother's womb. You think mommy and daddy were knitting? <laughs> Give you a moment to think about that. So, go talk to them today when you're driving home. I mean, they were not knitting. They were having great sex. And you were formed. Mommy didn't even realize it till about seven weeks later when she started puking all over. But God said, my child, when you were one cell. My dear young people, that is the identity you need. One cell and God knew you. You see, you are redeemed. Jesus died for you. You can go to this God who created the stars and the moon, and you can say, hi, Daddy, that's how important you are to God. Some of you may not have a Daddy. Some of you may not be really close to your Daddy. But you have the only Daddy who matters, God, and you can go to him. And in 1 Corinthians 6, it says, because of that, because you are known by God, your body belongs to Jesus. Now, my dear young people, really concentrate at this point. Your body belongs to Jesus. Every one of you. 
your body is special to Jesus just the way it is. Your body is a home of the Holy Spirit. Honor God with your body. What does this mean? What does it mean to honor your body and to honor the body of the person sitting next to you? Look around and tell and think every one of the people around you is created in the image of God, belongs to Jesus, and therefore is meant to be honored. What does this mean to honor the body that you are carrying around? It means that Jesus, God, wants you to be what you are. You're not here by accident. Your body isn't an accident. It is a beautiful creation that God meant it to be just the way you are. So, you honor your body. You will never send a nude picture to someone because you honor your body too much. You won't ask someone for a picture of their parts, package, whatever you call it, because you honor them too much. When you are dating or you're going out with someone, now you young ones, at your age, probably dates should stay in the supermarket shelf. But when you get older and you start going out one-to-one, -one, you honor the other person by not asking them to do sexually intimate things. It is not honoring to use somebody else's body just to give you some kind of temporary high. Remember that. Always remember it. You are special and you're created to honor God with your body. Okay, let's talk a little bit about sex before we open to questions. Okay, when we talk about sex, there are three things I like to talk to you a little bit about. This thing called desire, sexual desire, what is it? What is this thing called falling in love? And what happens when you actually have sex? Let's start with desire. Now, when you, some of you are probably not yet at this wonderful stage of puberty. Don't you just love that word? Puberty. Some of you look like you're just starting. Others look like you're pretty much on the way. It's a fun time. Your brain wakes up, the emotional brain especially. Chemicals start flying around your body, especially chemicals called sex hormones. So guess what they do? They make you interested in sex. And desire is in your brain saying, I think I want sex. It's a wanting. Now, there will be some people here who are like, yes, I want it. Where can I get it? And there will be others who are going, eh, if I trip over it, I probably won't even notice it. And that's okay. Whatever age you are, it's very different. But it is a wanting. Now, my dear young people, really pay attention just now because this is extremely important. So stop giggling, stop uh, texting, and listen to me for a moment. I know it's really hard to live without your smartphones, but this is important. 
you are in a world, in a culture that says to you that if you want something, it is not really wanting, like wanting chocolates or something, but it is a need and you must have it. And if you don't have it, then somebody is taking something really important away from you. They are taking your very right to do what you want. This is the world you live in. So whether it is just sex with anyone or same sex or premarital sex or casual sex or whatever it may be or group sex or sex with yourself or whatever if you want it you will be told you need it and if somebody tells you that it's not right at your age they are stupid and evil and they should be just got rid of and not listened to boring dinosaurs who don't understand that you need that is so wrong you know, Jesus, God created desire. Come with me to the Garden of Eden. There's Adam. You know, he was so perfect. He had this perfect six-pack and everything working just as it should. He wasn't lonely, but he was alone. And so God brings a girlfriend. Perfect. Eve. No Botox, no boob job needed. Absolutely perfect. The first ever blind date. And Adam goes, oh, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. The most beautiful girl I've seen. It helped he'd never seen another one. But, you know, at that moment, he felt desire. And he looked at her. And she was like him. You know, she was taken from him. Like him. But where it mattered, you can see his eyes kind of dropping a little bit, and going, wow, you really are fit for me. You are suitable for me. And together, we can have fun, and we can make babies. And, and God said, get out there and, you know, multiply and fill the earth. He wasn't saying do mathematics. He was telling them, go and have good sex. So God created desire. But he creates good things for use in a good place, in the right place. And desire, this feeling of desire, and this emotion of falling in love, which I will talk about in a minute, are emotions, they are feelings. My dear young people, self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. We are created by God and we are given self-control. And we are told, you don't live by your desires. The world says, do whatever you desire. If you love someone, you are told you must have sex with them. I love you means I want your body. The Bible says our desires are not always in keeping with what God wants for us. Even Jesus said, you know, out of our heart, out of our feelings, come evil thoughts and murder and adultery and immorality. We must control. Self-control is something you develop. If you want tight, taut bodies like some of you young men and women have, you don't get it by sitting in front of television with popcorn. You get it by going to the gym and doing those crunches or scrunches or whatever. So, 
That's how self-control is. You practice self-control. Even the Bible clearly talks about love. Ah, love. Some of you probably think you are in love. Just like, you know, the emotion of desire. Love is driven by a chemical, and I love it. It's a chemical called dopamine, and basically it makes you dopey. You watch for when you fall in love. It's the dopiest thing that will ever happen in your life. Because one person becomes the most important person in your life. Listen to what the Song of Songs says about it. Love is as strong as death. It's jealousy unyielding as the grave. It burns like a blazing fire, like a mighty flame. My dear young people, a flame, a mighty fire, burning, that is love. That is desire. Fire is good in the right place, in the heart, in the heater. Fire in the tinder dry grass out there is a bushfire, not good. Desire and love is like that. Three times in Song of Songs, which is what we call the sealed section of the Bible, eight chapters of erotic lovemaking between husband and wife, it, three times it says, don't arouse it before the right time. And what is this right time? One man, one woman in marriage. That's the heart. That's the boundaries of desire and love. My dear young people, if outside that watching pornography, casual sex, these things harm your brain, they harm your body. Why is this so? Because sexual activity is a binding act. Always remember this. Different chemicals kick in. The chemicals like oxytocin, prolactin, this is the same thing that you ask your mom when she held you at the breast and you were nursing. She formed a real bond with you. Those same chemicals, when you are sexually intimate with someone, they rise in your brain and you form like a super glue bond. My dear young people, even watching pornography can form that bond with watching porn. And you form like a super glue bond so that if you fall in love and you are rejected or you break off, it hurts. You fall in love and have sexual intimacy. And note, I'm not saying necessarily intercourse, any form of intimacy. And you break up, you grieve because you are tearing apart like super glue and tearing. You leave a bit of yourself and you take a bit of that person with you. My dear young people, there is nothing casual about sex. Sex is a binding act. Any form of sexual activity. Why do you think the Bible in Genesis calls it a naked and no shame, one flesh? Nakedness is total vulnerability. No shame is you are with somebody you can totally trust. Now, you're all young and tight and taut as are your parents. You wait till you get to be 71 like me and things start migrating to Melbourne. Then you will be totally happy that you are with someone you have known for a long time. My husband and I have been married for 45 years. And 
We didn't have sex before. We were friends for five years. But since we got married, now it's 45 years. And you know, it's lovely. You can be naked and go, oh, look at that wrinkle. I remember when it was up there. And it is okay because you are in a place where a person, you can be naked and know that that person has promised to love you till death separate you. And to that person, you are as lovely as you were on your wedding day. Why do you think we ask you to wait till marriage? It is because you don't throw this beauty that God has given you, your body, your body which belongs to Jesus, your body which is made to honor God, this body which God gives you to share in a naked and no shame relationship with one man or one woman in marriage. And some of you may not get married, but you'll have lots of friends and you fill your life with the joy of friendship. But if you have sex, God gives you that place for it and outside of it, will bring sadness because it will destroy your mind and your thinking about this beautiful gift that God has given you. Be very, very aware of the messages that the world is giving you, that every desire must be met, that if you love someone, you must own their body by having sex, that sex is something that you can just hand around or watch on pornography. All of it is wrong. Your body is precious and sexual activity binds you to a person. In marriage, that activity binds you to that person for life. That is God's plan for you. You see, you have a choice. You can feed your mind with all the deviance of sex, but what will happen is you will find yourself confused. And when you want to get married, when you want to form that special relationship, it will be really difficult to do so. You can use your body as an object. You can watch porn. You can do all these things. It is your choice, but it is not what God wants for you because in the long run, it leaves you empty and open to rejection and pain and disappointment. God's way brings true happiness. See, in 2 Timothy, it says, writing to young Timothy, Paul says, Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness. What does this mean? It says when you are tempted, and even Jesus was tempted with sex or porn, flee, run away. Don't wait to say, let me take one teaspoon of water from the toilet cistern. It will be full of bacteria. Trust me, I'm a doctor. You will get bugs in it. Just once, let me have sex just once. You will bond with that person. You might even catch something. You see, there is no quick and easy experimentation. You run from temptation. Flee from temptation. But you just don't run. You run towards Jesus. You run towards God. You run towards the word. It's righteousness. And you don't do it alone. It says later on, go read that. Youth workers, read this with your, with your young people. 2 Timothy 2, 22. It's easy to remember all those twos. Flee the evil desires of youth. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace 
along with those who call on the Lord, along with other Christian young people like you, support each other. It is so important. In Psalm 16, we read, in your presence, God, is true fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures. Dear young people, that is what you are created for, the true pleasures of an identity with Christ. Now today, while I'm saying these things, some of you might have felt a little bit uncomfortable. Maybe some of you have been tempted to watch pornography. Maybe there's someone here who has had some form of sexual intimacy. Or maybe there's someone here who's struggling with same-sex attraction. And you're thinking, I'm uncomfortable with this. I don't know what to do. First thing to know that Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and all of us are sinners. We won't need the cross if we are not. So please, if you are feeling uncomfortable about anything, maybe you don't want to ask a question in public, but talk to your parents, talk to your youth workers. Please don't leave today without talking to someone, asking for prayer, and asking for help. If you're struggling with porn, you can't, it's very difficult to give it up on your own. You need support. If you are feeling uncomfortable about something sexual or some kind of lustful sexual thing you're struggling with, please ask someone for help. There are your Christian, your leaders, your parents always willing to work with you. And these the books at the top, Growing Up by the Book and Teen Sex by the Book, are books that we have written. I mean, none of you are in primary school, so I won't point to the ones at the bottom. <laughs> that uh, books are Teen Sex is for 15 plus, and Growing Up is for four, 10 to 14. We do have copies of those books, so you want to have a look at them or ask your parents or your youth workers to get them for you. They are available. Okay, youth workers, Isaac, do we have a little time for questions? He says yes. Yep. Anyone want to ask any questions, put up your hand, and if I don't hear you, the youth workers can listen to you and shout them out. Yes, dear. Uh, what are those considered who have had sex and had children without getting married? Sure, sure. So some people have, have sex and get pregnant, a woman. Woman has sex, get, gets pregnant, but chooses to have the baby for whatever reason. Maybe the dad, the, man, the person who, with whom she got pregnant isn't willing to marry or she's too young for whatever. The first thing to remember is that God loves you whoever you are. Whether you were born in a marriage or whether you were born without dad and mom being married, you still are a precious child of God. That's the first thing. Your, you are special. Your body is special. Jesus died for you, so you are special. And that's the most important thing. And to know that if you have a mom who's living with you, she loves you and cares for you. That's the most important thing. And so if you don't have a dad with you, look, it it's sad, but it's, it doesn't mean that you don't have a good life because God loves you, Jesus died for you, you are known by God, and above all, you have the only daddy who matters, and that is the God you can go to and say, hi, daddy. So that's all you really need. But above all, 
to remember that you are special, whoever you are, whether you have a mom and dad, whether they are married, whatever. Okay, I might say a couple of questions that I'm often asked. A couple of questions that I'm asked when you're allowed anonymous questions. So everyone's allowed to write down and we've got time. Then the kind of questions I'm asked, one of them is, what about self-stimulation or masturbation? Is that a sin? So I might as well answer it for you. Masturbation is touching your body to get satisfaction. Now, God created genitals, and God created genitals to be nice. If genitals were not nice to touch, you probably won't be here. Because mommy and daddy wouldn't have bothered. You know, it's a fun thing to have sex. And so God created genitals nice. Now, if it felt as nice to rub your nose, you'll be all sitting here rubbing your nose. But it doesn't feel so good. So, it's not touching your genitals that matters. Okay, the Bible doesn't say you cannot masturbate. If you rub your nose anymore, your nose will fall off, young man. <laughs> okay, so... It's only your nose, that's okay. So, so, the reality is that the Bible doesn't say you, can, you should not masturbate. There's nothing to say about it. So, what's the problem here? The problem is that it's really difficult to touch a part of your body, especially your genitals, to, till you get that satisfaction or climax or orgasm, whatever you call it, without thinking sexual thoughts. The Bible calls it lust. Oh, don't get me wrong, just looking at someone and saying, oh, she's cute, or oh, isn't he gorgeous, that's just normal admiration of someone. But when you think about that someone and build a kind of a thought and a fantasy in your brain, and then you touch your body and you masturbate, that is what is lust. And Jesus clearly said that if you are thinking like that about someone, you might as well be having sex with them. The Bible is clear on that. So that's the problem with masturbation. You can't do it with, it's very difficult. Some people say, oh, I can masturbate thinking of the wind through the gum trees, but that's not possible for many. But, you know, the reality is those thoughts are dangerous things. Remember what I said? What you feed your brain will wire your brain. Those are not good thoughts to wire your brain. Secondly, it can become a habit. Well, it feels good. God made genitals to feel good. And so it can become that, you know, you go, I got a bad mark in my maths test. I think I'll masturbate. Mom pulled me up for not taking the garbage out. I think I'll masturbate. So you just masturbate as like taking a Panadol or drinking a hot cup of milk. So I would say, take the Panadol, drink the hot cup of milk, and do something active, like taking the dog for a walk, or you're going for a bike, or call a friend, when you feel tempted to masturbate. Remember what it, we said earlier? Flee from temptation. Run away and do something else to take your mind off it. So it's habit forming, it causes lust in your brain, and thirdly, I mean, you're young, you're not married yet, 
I don't think so. But the point is, it's solo sex. You're having sex with yourself. And the Bible is clear in 1 Corinthians 7, sex is meant for other person, husband and wife, to share their body. So you're getting used to sort of having sex with yourself. And that's not a good habit. For these reasons, we say that sex masturbation is not a wise thing to do. If you find occasionally that you've done it, don't sort of feel guilty and ashamed. Just don't make it a habit. Any more questions? No one? One more question then, which I'm often asked. And that is, um, what about same-sex attraction? It's a common question. Is the Bible say, you know, homosexuals are evil and going to hell? When we talk about same-sex sexuality, and I do a lot of work with gender, that's what I actually studied in my postgraduate study in Hawaii, so I do a lot of work, and Teen Sex by the Book has a whole chapter on it. We look at same-sex sexuality, we have to think, think about three aspects, right? Stay with me here, for those of you, especially older ones, who probably have friends or know people who say they are gay or les or bi or fluid or whatever. So, there are at least three aspects. First one is same-sex attraction. It's a desire for somebody or same sex. Desire can be same sex or other sex, same sex attraction. <clears throat> Second thing is same sex behavior. So there's attraction and a behavior. There is no gay gene, but for some people, the best research we have says that for some people, those feelings can be there. They don't necessarily choose to feel it. Are you with me so far? You can have the feelings. But what you do with your feeling is always a choice. Remember what I said about desire? The world culture says, if you feel it, you must do it. God says, I give you self-control. It's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. So even if you feel same-sex attraction, you have a choice whether you follow it with the behavior and you have a choice as to whether you choose the label of gay, les, bi, fluid, whatever. You with me there? So, the Bible is clear. Sex is sexual activity is for one man, one woman in marriage. So like that is the boundaries of sexual activity. Anything outside that, premarital, extramarital sex, same sex, animal sex, group sex, anything outside that is not in keeping with God's plan. And so same sex behavior fits into that outside God's plan, as does premarital sex, casual sex, hooking up, whatever, and if you're married, extramarital sex. All that is outside the pattern. You hear with me? So that behavior, like any sexual behavior outside God's pattern, is, the Bible calls it, sinful and not in God's plan.
Um, thank you so much, Patricia. Um, let me just pray, and then I'll give you your next instructions. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for Patricia. Thank you for the work that she does. Um, thank you that in everything she does, she's glorifying you and doing it for um, yeah your glory. I pray, Lord, that this week we can go out um, honouring our bodies and honouring other people's bodies, and that um, ultimately we'll be trusting in you, relying on you for um, our love and our mercy. Amen.